You're listening to the Game Strategy Dobbers podcast. I'm James Batchelor and I'm joined this week by... Brendan Sinclair. Danielle Partis. Jeffrey Russo. Chris Green. We're going to be talking about the biggest stories from the past week from across the game industry. Not really sure what we're going to talk about, though. It's been a bit of a quiet week. I mean, I was half tempted to cancel the pod. you guys got any topics you want to talk about? Any, anything do you think happened last week? There's the big Microsoft news. Banjo-Kazooie on Switch. That's it. There we go. Right, Banjo-Kazooie on Switch. So, how yes. many jiggies do we each have? No, of course. Of course, the, uh, you know, <laughs> the hilarious intro here is there is only one story to talk about. There's not only one. There is one main story to talk about this week, obviously. Microsoft is in talks or in the process of buying Activision Blizzard for $68.7 billion. It is the biggest games acquisition in the history of the industry. It is, according to one analyst I read, the biggest tech acquisition in history. It is only a few billion dollars short. I love the phrase, a few billion dollars, like it doesn't <laughs> matter. It's only a few billion dollars short of Disney's purchase of Fox for $71.3 billion, which makes it one of the biggest entertainment acquisitions in history. Um, I don't think it's it's too hyperbolic um, for, uh, to quote Sirk and Toto, Dr. Sirk and Toto talked on our, uh, our analyst roundup, he described it as the deal that will change the industry forever. This deal has been talked about a lot and written about a lot in the past week. We're aware of that. We may be retreading some old ground, but I think, I'll be honest, I think the entire industry is still taking stock as to what this means. First point, obviously, is that the deal hasn't gone through yet. As with any acquisition, this is the announcement of the start of the process. They've said that it's not going to finish until um, during... You know, like by the end of Microsoft's fiscal year, uh, next fiscal year, so by June 2023. So we're looking at up to 18 months of this happening. There's a lot of talk about whether or not it will get through regulators or antitrust concerns. There are mixed opinions about that. Um, I guess we'll go around the team, but like just initial reactions to this deal. Um, disbelief is a valid reaction because that was certainly mine. <laughs> Anyone? Yeah, same thing as as anyone else. I think just I, I saw the news and um, thought like, well, there there goes this week. There goes <laughs> anything we had planned for this week, um, because it's all going to be Microsoft, Activision, Blizzard, and I, I I don't know. It's one of those one of those deals that is so big. The day before it happened. I would have thought that is just like, ah, oh, that's that's unfathomable. That's that's too big a deal. This is gaming industry fan fiction. That kind of thing. And and then it happened and then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, no, no, I forgot the gaming industry is a completely absurd place and, and things like this can can happen on the regular even. So yeah, it's I, I, I don't I don't know that anyone looked at this no matter how desensitized to this stuff they are and, and thought like hmm okay well love is like it was only a few weeks ago that um around the bobby kotick story that came out from the wall street journal like phil spencer um i was gonna say head of xbox but new position of microsoft gaming ceo phil spencer said that they are reevaluating their relationship with activision blizzard i don't think anyone thought that that was like i remember that quote prompting people like oh will they drop call of duty will you not be able to get call of duty on xbox and now people are talking about will you only be able to get call of duty on xbox like the way that this whole conversation has changed so quickly is just amazing to me 
Uh, it's one of those things where when, when a big industry news thing happens, right? And I don't know, I, I, I think I don't want to speak on behalf of everyone on the team, but it's not uncommon for the mainstream media uh, to get in touch and ask for our views or our quotes on something. Like, you know, James, you mentioned when we spoke earlier, you mentioned that Super Mario Run came out, you were being asked by mainstream, you know, why is Super Mario, why is Nintendo doing a mobile game? And you would explain it to them and we knew that kind of thing. And this is the first time I've had people in the games industry, other journalists working for our sister publications come to me and say, what does this mean? Because it, 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 is, it is so, even people who are experts in this field, people who understand games, it's so difficult to um to imagine what's what's happened here i mean activision uh, microsoft of xbox rather have bought a gaming company that's as sort of bigger than its own you know it's it's uh, i'm not sure not bigger in every term not and every uh, metric but it's just um it's just you know I, i started thinking about this at the weekend we've all been focused on the questions you mentioned they're like what's it mean for the employees right what's it mean for call of duty all the stuff that matters right now the stuff that's the topical right now but then i think you know activision blizzards like they're one of the best publishers in the world right they're, they're not a great i'm talking about business here they're not the greatest employers in the world um but they are they are uh they are a world-renowned publisher that has launched multiple they're not so great at maintaining them but they have launched multiple billion dollar franchises they've talked spoken to so many different businesses all around the world uh different different types of consumers all around the world they're in so many different markets they talk to, they have kids ip they have pc big have a massive pc business have a massive mobile business and you look at microsoft xbox and they're sort of a gamer brand they're a console brand primarily and you think everyone keeps talking about microsoft changing activision blizzard and we hope in some ways they will but there are there's the other reality and rob fay talked about this in his article where activision blizzard is probably going to quite dramatically change xbox and it is just, um, and you, I can't, it's, 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 uh, it's, uh, yeah, every single day I still have a different thought about what this, the the repercussions of this could mean. I mean, it is, it was, it is, I could, I could have done like 50 different uh, uh, opinion pieces on different days. It's, it's just, um, it's an incredible thing to think about. And it's, and it's, it's gonna, you know, I think it's going to change everything. It, it's uh, definitely didn't see it coming. The two companies have such different uh, approaches to to game development and, and, and design, though. Like, I, I, I just think of the last seven or eight years, really, of, of uh, Xbox with, with Phil Spencer on top of it. And there has been a lot of um, a lot a lot of stuff that was done that didn't really make financial sense to me like a lot a lot of stuff that they would do and you'd look at it and say like okay well that's not going to make them any money it's cool though you know it's it's nice that we have a new battle toads it's nice that they wanted to dust off phantom dust or voodoo vince and and sell that again to the people that are really into those things but it's it's not like they were willing to just kind of and and this is a platform holder thing right they're they're willing to to throw a little money there for some things that a small group of people will really love but aren't going to produce huge returns and then you look at activision blizzard and they are just they have been steadily narrowing their focus onto what provides the best return year in and year out for like a decade now you know the tony hawk went into the mothballs and then came back for for one really well received entry and is now kind of like on the shelf again it seems 
um, Crash and, and Spyro. They they had the remakes for a little bit, for a couple of years, but then Activision Blizzard hadn't announced anything else in, on, on that front. Guitar Hero, obviously, was, you know, in deep storage. It's been all Activision, sorry, Activision Blizzard has been all Call of Duty all the time for for increasingly for years now and that is that's not the way that microsoft has approached gaming partly because they don't have a call of duty um, but also partly because that's just not that's not what the platform holder i i feel is is typically responsible for no and i actually find that quite you know i, I actually find that a little exciting you know i i, I you know crap they did crash for uh, and then they're Tony Hawks that year, but you felt that those games were one-offs. They weren't going to continue to invest in those. Um, and there's loads of reports saying that they're not. But um, And now you think they probably can because there's less pressure on them. You know, it's that thing. Activision would only work on billion-dollar franchises. And as soon as Destiny and as soon as Skyland and as soon as Guitar Hero stopped being billion-dollar franchises, they stopped existing. And you wonder if under Microsoft they still would exist. That might that might be the case. But likewise... I'm pretty sure Xbox isn't entirely happy with the number of Halo games they've released in the last 10 years, right? It's a franchise that, you know, it's taken a long time. They've struggled to get those games out. Whereas Activision have a studio structure and strategy and system that seems to enable them to release a major AAA Call of Duty game every 12 months. Now, I'm not saying... Basically, there there are two extremes there. There's one that's people releasing a major AAA shooter almost too often. The other one that's perhaps uh, 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 not not doing quite enough. And you think those two levels of expertise could come together to form some form of a uh middle ground but it's that's what i mean like every time every time i uh i op- i start thinking about how they operate or how di- how the studios operate differently or um how the publishers operate differently i wouldn't be surprised that leadership team they put out for microsoft gaming i wouldn't be surprised that in five six years it's half filled with activision people um because and Todd Howard will probably be in there as well you know it's like yes the thing the Bethesda deal if you think about it Bethesda deal was really like Microsoft buying a company that's quite similar to themselves you know they make RPGs they make shooters they make bigger RPGs um but it's you know they they, their studios are talent-led it's it's quite similar to how Xbox is set up um in some ways and then and then they've got a public they've got a publishing division Microsoft have a publishing division they probably don't need both but you know at the moment they're being kept separately but it's um, uh, Activision Blizzard, you know, the, it, m- licensing, Activision Blizzard's licensing agreement. Activision Blizzard have a motion pictures division. They have an esports division. Their relationship with the music industry is really st- super strong. Their relationship with the movie industry is really strong. It's just, um, it is, it is, uh, they've bought a lot of stuff that Microsoft isn't. Xbox isn't. Well, Microsoft, Xbox in particular isn't. And I just find that, like, we're looking at a different company now. I just got to point out that Microsoft had a film division also. Yeah. And this Activision Blizzard film division is like, it, it is basically five years since they announced the Call of Duty cinematic universe. Yeah. I so I, I don't really want to say that either of these companies is, is really like the film division adds anything to the, to the mix here. I, I, I think the really interesting thing with Activision Blizzard and what, what, microsoft is picking up there is i don't know exactly what microsoft does with blizzard and with esports um just because blizzard was already sort of in a state of flux with with the way kind of activision was uh taking a little bit more of a hands-on approach 
with with the the Blizzard division, uh, particularly since the departure of Mike Morhaime, and and sort of the old Blizzard way of doing things. Um, just it'll be ready when it's done. We'll delay things. That's fine. We'll we'll throw out you know an MMO and when we're we've been working on it for years in order to like pull the Overwatch out of it and make that its own thing. Like there was a lot less tolerance, I think. For, for that approach from Activision Blizzard in the last couple of years. And I don't I don't know how Microsoft takes that culture in flux. And I think the Blizzard of old might have worked under under Microsoft as far as that, you know, take your time approach to development and waste as much money as you need. But they've already kind of lost so much of the the old Blizzard leadership, whether because they left or were, you know, involved in the the horrors of the recent months and shouldn't be there now anyways um that i don't i don't know what that culture is kind of you know left with going forward what happens with them now and that that's a good point i mean because on certain paper blizzard is like blizzard could be the xbox's answer to valve right so they you know xbox have got pc developers they've got pc franchises like flight simulator and age of empires but that's not going to drive pc game pass in the way it, it will do some but it's not going to drive it in the way that it can do microsoft being able to do that on xbox and then you throw in world of warcraft and diablo and starcraft all those sort of titles overwatch into that into that pc service and it's potentially very strong and you know in a in a different world you put blizzard in charge of that division of, of microsoft right you put in put them in charge of the pc games development of, of xbox it's something that microsoft's always struggled to get out of a certain niche with um um but um but yeah they, they've gone for a change it's they've almost bought them a bit too late possibly like, you know they maybe they they can they can course correct a bit now um although you know we've got to remember this deal's got another, at least 18 months of running on it and by the time microsoft get in there and establish themselves we're probably looking at two three years before we actually start seeing um their influence upon that company so by that point who knows um where, where everything's at but that's what I mean. It's just very difficult to get your head around, really. Um, One thing I am quite curious about, and this is sort of a half question for for you, Chris, because you're probably far more aware of the numbers that, than I am. But it, it felt over the last couple of years that Activision was just pouring more and more of their internal resources into creating Call of Duty. You know, the studios under them were just sort of having their input stopped so they could focus on churning out the next COD. But the COD franchise wasn't growing alongside the additional resources and investment. Do you think that's true or? Well, it's sort of true. Brendan did a great piece on it. So Brendan knows it's actually a bit better than me. Um, they It, it sort of slowed in the last couple of years. And interestingly, Bobby um, Kotick mentioned it in the interview with VentureBeat that um, the thing Activision Blizzard is struggling with is the tech is keeping up with the demands of AAA development. And Call of Duty is supposed to be at the forefront of that. So they do one of the reasons why these studios are becoming increasingly focused on Call of Duty is because Call of Duty is becoming increasingly demanding to maintain. And um, uh, whether that's, you know, whether that's just pure in development resources or AI or machine learning, all these things that the Activision Blizzard apparently aren't very strong in and Microsoft are. So they viewed that's one of the reasons he cited as a, a, why this partnership made so much sense. Um, but um, it, it I think there is a growth challenge, but I think, I, I mean, I said the thing, like if I was, I, who could say what's going to happen, but I wouldn't be surprised that in four or five years, we're not looking at a Call of Duty every year. 
um and you know you've got warzone did you know it's done great numbers it might have slowed slightly but it was it was doing certainly doing great numbers and raven's gone from they've, they've gone for their own challenges but raven's gone from being like a 50 person or 100 person outsourced development team to a 400 person leading the uh, uh the warzone development and then there's um and they've just opened a, a sledgehammer studio in in the uk so they're, they're still investing and expanding those studios I, it, it's call of duty is such a big beast and it doesn't really i think vanguard's numbers are really low and i think that's a little bit concerning but it doesn't a franchise doesn't have to get bigger in terms of the player numbers for it to be bigger more you know more commercially successful and that's what we were seeing for call of duty because call of duty's peak was about 15 years ago 10 years ago i can't lost track of time probably 10 years ago was when call of duty peaked but it's been financially more successful with each passing year but multiple it's becoming more global peaked by what the, metric but by pure pure unit, you know, when I'm talking about, I'm talking here, this is pre-Warzone and Call of Duty Mobile, but because um, obviously that's brought the numbers up substantially. But unit sales used to get um, used to get massive unit sales for for Call of Duty, and now they're and now it's down at around, I don't know what it is, ten million or something. You sort of, and it's it's those numbers have gone down quite a bit. But the 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 way the way they monetize those games now and keep those people engaged, it's it's sort of. It's very different. This is what I mean. That's, Activision's really good at that. So I, I've not answered your question, Daniel. Um, it does. <laughs> I, it has. I think it has. To, but that's the reason why I think some of their share prices have been. You know, th- there's been the employee uh, 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 nightmare that's been going on. Uh, employ- nightmare for employees primarily. Um, then um, that's obviously not been great. But the um, you know Activision. I think there are some concerns about shareholders about the growth that's in Call of Duty and the challenges that have been at Blizzard. And so. Um, it's certainly been a. I wouldn't be surprised though if, if like Toys for Bob, is brought back onto kids' games, which is what they were made for. And yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if because um, Sledgehammer have. I, I know that Sledgehammer was working on a more Fortnite level Call of Duty game, so a Call of Duty game that was meant for for younger people, not not children, but sort of you know that twelve plus audience. Um, I don't know where that game went. You know, they, before that they're working on a third person action game. So these studios do end up, do try different things, are experimenting with different things. And maybe these things will start coming out when it, when the pressure to just purely funnel people onto the big franchises is relieved. Maybe. It's just, it's just it's, we could do six podcasts on this topic. Um, it's, uh, uh, it, go on, Brendan, you know this better than me. Yeah, I, w- I just want to mention the um, perception of Call of Duty as being uh, flagging of late. is It's on a pretty short timeline i think because call of duty mobile launched i think it was october of 2019 and that was huge um obviously the the as the first big free-to-play call of duty thing um the average user numbers the engagement just spiked tremendously uh the the operating profits of the activision segment were up huge and then when they released uh, Warzone in what, March of 2020, I think, uh, or early in the pandemic year, um, they the profits kept up there, but the the actual user numbers, the the average monthly users for for the Activision games, didn't really budge at all, and. They vacillated a bit since then, but they they haven't really grown significantly uh, with the launch of of Warzone. And the division itself, I I, I think, has been um, 
the the results are still strong. Like it's still been reliably profitable and and doing well, but it's it's not on an upward trajectory anymore. And uh, Vanguard, especially, I think you could kind of see that one coming uh, a little ways away that that wasn't going to be as successful as, you know, a new Black Ops or a new Modern Warfare would be, partly because the World War II games just don't, you know, draw the same kind of numbers or, or interest as as those other franchises. And, and you know, probably a little bit of, of fatigue and maybe a little bit of cannibalization from the mobile and the, the console and PC free-to-play Call of Duty experiences that they've launched. And this is, this is something that I... Um, I've seen with like the 10 years ago this month column is is when there's some sort of, you know, new disruptive option out there, uh, it launches. And even though it's, you know, logically it would cannibalize this other thing, the initial reaction is just kind of like, oh, they're both up now. You know, like this is this is not a, a cannibalization issue. Um you, like you can, if if you remember when Steam first started experimenting with like some deep discount Steam sales, I think it was on Left for Dead, and then Valve showed up at GDC to say, "Check this out. We put Left for Dead on a huge discount, and we saw this big old spike. And then after the sale, uh, when the spike came back down, it was at a higher level of of day to day sales as it was before." And then our retail sales were also up then in, in, in the short term. And they were using this to say basically like, look, Steam is not bad for physical distribution sales. We're, we're completely additive and we're not cannibalizing at all. And, and in the very short term, I think that was true. But I think we can look since then. When you extend the, the the trend over a longer period of time, you'll you'll start to see that no, it just takes people a little while to clue into like, oh, wait, why wouldn't I just get this over here when it's you know a much better deal and all that kind of stuff. And and this is actually one of the things I'm worried about with with this acquisition and what it means for Microsoft Game Pass, um, be, because to date the Game Pass story Microsoft has been selling is that it is additive to developers' efforts. It is, it is saying, like, we are putting this game into Game Pass and its sales are increasing on Xbox and on other platforms. And they, they I think they've been picking success stories here and there to kind of get that. But and, and, and that's, you know, that's great for now. But when you have Game Pass that people are just kind of like the new Halo, the new Call of Duty, the new Elder Scrolls, I can just, you know... Well, I've got my Game Pass subscription. That'll cover it. They're not going to be buying at full price on Xbox anymore. They're not going to be buying at full price on PlayStation anymore if they're already paying for Game Pass. And that that will be cannibalizing eventually. Well, you're spot on. And they say this all the time. I don't entirely think it's because people clue into the idea. I think it's because it gets bigger. And eventually people go... Cause um, you talk about. I remember very vividly. It happened. It wasn't just Steam that did it, by the way. Xbox said it, and PlayStation said it. Um, they would go, "Oh, um, selling games digitally isn't going to hurt retail. Look, both numbers are up." But that's fine when you only only five percent of your audience are downloading. 
and when until 10% of your audience are downloading because that downloading audience just causes a spike in you know interest it causes DLC DLC and then the retailers can sell game of the year editions which they weren't able to do before which means they make even more money off the games because most people are buying physically and then it gets to the point where actually most people start buying dig- the digital thing grows to a point when the, when it does start to cannibalize and that's the thing that's going to happen with game pass eventually i don't care how many times microsoft says that game pass is helping the other business models it won't eventually right now when it's only 25 million people in the subscription service 25 million in the subscription service or 150 million core gamers outside it so um when a game goes into game pass lots of people play it lots of people stream it lots of people share about it yes it will probably cause a spike of interest on the playstation and on pc or amongst gamers that aren't in game pass but when you've got 50 million people in game pass or 100 million people in game pass are we going to see those same results and i think it's no i've been around long enough to know that um that uh these these um that you know everyone likes to put their fingers in the ears and pretend it's all good and everyone's benefiting but eventually they won't and uh, game pass is going to change how games are bought and um, distributed possibly because that might be streaming but um definitely change the business model around video games and even if it doesn't change it completely even if you've only even if it gets to the point where only even if it fails to appeal to mainstream gamers that's the fear because you know, it's one thing to sort of get people who are normally buy five or six games a year to subscribe to Game Pass. But if you get to the point where you're trying to attract people who only buy one or two games, that's where Game Pass makes its money. That's where it proves itself as being positive for the overall business is if it can get people that only buy one or two games to subscribe or if it can get people that don't play games at all to subscribe. If Game Pass can get can widen the audience for video games or make some, uh, casual gamers be more mainstream gamers, then it's a good thing. But if it fails to do that, if it can't quite crack that audience, and it is a hard sell convincing someone that only plays FIFA every year to subscribe to a service that has 100 games in it, um, then all it's done is devalued the games or made games at least more affordable for core gamers and therefore reduce the value of the business overall. And that is the that is the thing that makes me nervous around subscriptions and what that means for developers, what that means for the overall business. I just, you know, but, you know, if it works, it could be hugely successful. But the thing is, I think... After this Activision Blizzard deal, I think before it, to be fair, but I definitely think since then, it's happening. This transition is happening, and um, and uh, we just uh, uh, we'll see where it goes. Really, yeah, like the shift to digital distribution um, just absolutely hammered GameStop and and uh, a lot of other you know smaller uh, mom and pop game stores who are much easier to have sympathy for, um, but. I, I think the digital distribution has ultimately been so positive in the industry for so many people, for so many reasons that, you know, I don't look at that advent of digital distribution as like, oh, wow, that that's really been a bad thing for, for gaming writ large. This, though, when you have Game Pass, a subscription service like that, as a, a a dominant force, you know, a default outlet that people just kind of go to and expect all the games to to flow to them through that outlet. I think that is catastrophic for for developers. Um, we've spent so so many years now lowering the barriers to entry in in the industry with you know the the cost of the tools, the game engines coming down the digital distribution in itself making it so much easier to get a game into the hands of someone who will play it as opposed to when it had to be a physical thing uh but 
this this just if it becomes the default that the people go to and netflix for games looking for their 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 games then whoever owns that service has such an outsized influence on who gets to succeed in the industry like anyone can make a game and they can distribute it through steam or their own website or whatever but really all the attention is going to be funneled through the netflix for games thing much like right now first thing when there's a new series announced is kind of like oh is it netflix is it is it disney plus is it is it hbo and like if it's not on any of those or if, or if it's something that's only released on dvd or blu-ray like the odds of that getting seen or or noticed or, or having any kind of you know positive business uh for the creators is is just is is so remote and the the holders of these services are the only ones that get to see the metrics that show exactly you know how worthwhile these games are to that service like one one movie into netflix what is what is that worth to netflix who who really knows that i mean netflix doesn't even share viewership numbers with people uh, with with games it's maybe a little bit easier for for developers to figure out you know like oh well here's how many people are pinging our servers on this or that but there's so many so much of the proprietary information that microsoft uses to determine how much a game is worth to its system is entirely going to be only viewable by microsoft and that puts any developer negotiating with them at a huge disadvantage because all they know is well if you're not in game pass people aren't going to play you and the the details um and the deals that these developers get are not going to be as you know lucrative or welcoming you know five years down the line if game pass takes off than they are right now when Microsoft is willing to take huge losses in order to make Game Pass a thing. I, I have two particular um, thoughts regarding this. So it's no surprise to, you know, any of you on here that um, when I think about the business of things, I just think about people. So we're, we're speaking about emergent acquisition of a company that's been in um there's, there's really no nice way to say it, but you, you've been in the news for how many months uh consecutively because of you know allegations of you know workplace culture and you know what what's it's been like for folks and uh, honestly um when i was thinking about how exactly i wanted to broach this um I saw Dr. Uh, Kishona Gray speaking on Bloomberg, and I, I think she made a really great point speaking about this, is that so obviously this is a big acquisition, but what about the the conversations and how does the company, and I mean Activision Blizzard, move forward with addressing that? Even though you know now you're a part of Microsoft, that's great. That's still not just going to be all swept under the rug, right? I mean... I also think back to before Activision and Blizzard became Activision Blizzard. Uh, I forget which one of the companies supposedly had allegations, but that's I don't. That's kind of besides the point. It, it, it's in that time that hasn't really 
gone away. So I guess the question now is how do they move forward? Because this is still the same company that months ago or a month ago, I forget, where um, within their um, their yearly company um, employee representation report, you know, they still reminded us that they had a metric for, you know, within five years, we plan to increase our um, our staff with, you know, f- female employees and um, gender non-conforming individuals. So I'm thinking, okay, this would help because now I'm thinking, you're probably not really thinking so much that, you know, Bobby Kotick still CEO hypothetically for however long that may ever be, but now this is a Microsoft company. So that probably helps with that, right? But then the question is about, what about all the questions and concerns that came up regarding its leadership? You know, and, you know, one of the things someone says that, well, maybe Microsoft might help or encourage, you know, the promotion and, and leadership of individuals whom better represent, you know, what the gaming industry is now becoming or is or what have you. But the but the counter to that that I think about, you, you, you can have people who better represent what your company should look like. But what about the culture? You know, that that's still going to take time because still on paper, it takes, quote unquote, years to fix that. Right. So I, I'm thinking about so we're talking about this is going to take 18 months for the deal to be, you know, <laughs> finalized. So how, how long until we get like reports that say, oh, hey, you know, things are on the upside. And then I think about like, you know, Riot Games, they're, they're still working on that. So that, that, that that's one of the things I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about is that. I don't want this story to bury that, you know, just however months ago, this company was still regularly in the news for not good things, you know. That's one of the things I keep thinking about. And an employee work group, they, they you know, after the deal was announced, a better Activision, they, they put out a statement saying, hey, you know, our work is still not done. So I, I think about all those folks and, and what that, that means because the gaming industry is still slowly but surely marching forward to better, you know, working conditions and better conditions for, for employees. And then this goes into Raven unionizing. So what what does that mean? And I apologize. I didn't really look into this. I don't know how many um, unions there are within Microsoft. I I, I don't want to say anything that's not factual, but what, what does that mean? Will we see more or will, um, you know, I don't know. These are the things I'm thinking about. What about the, the, the employees in, in the future of and the culture for them is what i think about well yeah it's the it's the big <clears throat> it, it, well that's the again it's one of the many things we could talk about at length i mean microsoft have a, a you know for the games industry probably one of the most diverse looking leadership teams at all you know it's 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 it's, it's it, it, it that's a good sign you know they're not they don't have a, a completely clean record but they're not they don't their issues have they take this stuff very seriously you know i i do the best place to work awards and we've had several microsoft studios win the best place to work awards and i know the what they have what they do and, it, and it's good and it's positive but as you as you already say jeffrey this this you don't first you know you think about the journey you have to go on as a, as a company when you find out when you well assuming they didn't know uh, but you find that you've got a cultural problem you've got a you've got a toxicity problem but part of it, you need to find out who the bad apples are and that doesn't happen overnight you, there's obvious ones and then there's the other ones you don't spot you've got to get rid of those and then once you got rid of them, you have to replace them. You've got to replace them with good people, people that are positive, that can do that positive change. And they need to find their feet in that job. Then they've got to start making the changes. They've got to speak to the staff. You're talking a process that takes years and years and years to sort of shift cultural 
challenges. And then and then you talked about um, sort of long term diversity issues of the business, which, again, is another long term project. You can make some immediate changes. You can do some immediate positive things. Um, but the, but obviously to make real changes, it takes a sort of education level or at least bigger change. Uh, it takes sort of education level work, which Microsoft is doing, by the way. You know, it's something that they've been very proactive about um, through things like, you know, uh, the initiatives with Minecraft and stuff. And it's um, and uh, this stuff is going to take a while. Uh, but that's that bit. But then there's also the fears when you have an, uh, an acquisition this large. You know, Microsoft now have three games publishing divisions. They have Activision, they have Bethesda and they have themselves. And as much as they like to keep these businesses separate, that's the big thing for them. They, they, you, they have a strategy called limited integration strategy. It's, it's they learned it with Mojang. They've adopted it with LinkedIn. They've adopted it with quite a few acquisitions since. Where they long as you leave the companies as they are, let them operate as they are, and then just support them in ways where they can help. It could be with tech, it could be with uh, HR, it could be with whatever. You know, they, they, they provide support for them. Like Mojang is a great example. Mojang sort of still behaved like an independent developer in the sense that they were even making a game for 3DS at one point, right? You know, even for the Xbox. And it was, um, and, um, but, uh, but obviously they really wanted to push their education initiatives. And that's when Microsoft came in because they have the ability to do that. So, and you think that with Activision Blizzard that they might end up keeping them just like Activision Blizzard, doing the things they already do. Make Call of Duty on 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 PlayStation, make loads of hit PC games, push China with King, leave them alone to do their thing. And then Microsoft comes in with its capabilities to improve the areas where they're not so strong. So the tech thing, but as we're talking about here, sort of their, you know, cultural HR in theory, that's how it could work. But then I, I still get my, the idea that Microsoft Gaming has three massive games publishing divisions. It's like, you know, it feels so, um, you know, from a cruel business perspective, it feels wasteful and you can't help but think there will be some redundancies and layoffs as a result of it. You know, it's particularly in, in areas where they're, where these, um, where these businesses overlap. Um, and it's difficult to know. You know. It's difficult to know because the thing is, I don't think Microsoft or Activision Blizzard King really know at this point because they, it takes, you know, this, we have to go, you have to, they've not even bought them yet. Um, but it does create uncertainty and uncertainty creates unrest. And when there's already unrest in there, it, it feels um, it feels tricky. But And you also rightly pointed out that, you know, this deal isn't going through until 18 months at least. So it's still on Activision Blizzard. It's still on Bobby Kotick to... To, to to do something and fix uh it's it's unhappy company and that is um so uh, yeah you're right we shouldn't forget we shouldn't pretend this is a microsoft business yet because it isn't um and microsoft isn't going to be able to have any say in what activision blizzard are doing to um uh to to sort of make make their business a better place culturally um i don't know if i said anything worthwhile there but yeah <laughs> jeffrey mentioned the union question and uh, i i want to mention a few a few things on on that first of all on um after the the news about microsoft blizzard acquisition broke i did a uh, editorial about like questions that the you know that are still unanswered about the the thing and one of them was asking you know like how does this affect the unions unionization push at activision blizzard and uh in that i said um you know this whatever happens, this uncertainty about, you know, Microsoft taking over makes it seem a little less likely that um, we'll see unionization start with that in the AAA space, start with Activision Blizzard here. And then, of course, you know, on Friday, the um, 
ABK Workers Alliance uh, announced that like, hey, the Raven Software QA testers who have been on strike have voted to uh, have a union or at least, you know, 75% of them or so turned in their uh, their union cards to the the CWA, the the union they were working with. And now they're asking Activision Blizzard to voluntarily recognize the union so that they can uh, proceed like that. And if if Activision Blizzard doesn't, then there will be a a vote among them, uh, I suppose, if if it's determined that this is an appropriate block of workers uh, to vote. So um, I was wrong there about saying that it seems less likely that um, there's going to be a union starting with Activision Blizzard very quickly. Um, But the thing is, Microsoft is their their treatment of unions you know much like their treatment of women at the company has has also you know had had a uh well it's it's not a spotless record um some microsoft employees are unionized in uh, korea I, I believe it's more common for for employee unions uh to exist there and uh i was i was just looking when when you brought that up cuz i wasn't sure about in North America. And I found a Bloomberg article from 2018 about a a group of bug testers who were working for a contractor uh, that Microsoft had a deal with and they unionized. And when that happened, uh, Microsoft just dropped the contractors. So um, it's, it's, it's interesting. I think that, that Raven is moving forward here with a a push to unionize the QA testers at a specific studio. And this is going to be a few dozen people. Um, and like Activision Blizzard mentioned in its response, it's a company of 10,000. Uh, and we've, we've already seen like one of the, one of the things that upset workers here that, that made Activision, Blizzard, Raven Software, QA staff go on strike for the last five weeks, which they've now ended um, as a show of good faith to get Activision to voluntarily recognize the union. But one of the things that they were upset about was uh, that Activision Blizzard was laying off QA staff at Raven Software while basically transferring some of the work that they were doing on Warzone to a different studio and ramping up the QA staff there. So even even if this unionization push goes through at Raven Software, I'm I'm deeply curious as to see how the company will react to it whether it's Activision Blizzard or Microsoft and in in the long term if if it's sort of a, you know, inaccepted good faith, yeah, okay, our employees want to have a collective voice in, in bargaining with us. And that's okay, fine, whatever. Or, or if they, you know, kind of take the uh, sort of softer union busting route in order to just kind of, you know, Oh, well, no, we have legitimate business reasons for wanting to shift our business elsewhere and, you know, dissuade anyone else who's getting notions of, of unionizing. Yeah. The QA things, because it's actually the one side of the industry where I'm not saying there's plenty of staff, but there's like um, 
there's plenty of options out there whether it's you know you can build your own internal QA teams you can outsource it to teams in I think um, I think uh, Sega have just closed you know they were in the process of getting rid of their entire QA team in Europe which is quite a large team and they'll move I think they're outsourcing it to India I think and it's um and it's just one of those industries where there's there's people like keywords and stuff like that have these big QA teams that can sort of feel like embedded team members and it just feels like if there's one group that can be really exploited because the thing is like you know I mentioned this in previous podcasts when it comes to programmers and um, artists in video games and although they've not been treated well in the past they, they sort of hold all the keys at the minute all of these publishers need them more than they need the publishers and so um, you almost don't uh, I'm sure I'm sure they maybe you know, I hope they do but they almost don't even you know they they are they're in a position of power already they don't necessarily need uh, to be collectively in a, in a position of power though help of many other things um, but QA testers it's um it's such a brutal because you're right Activision could just go right see you later and then you know outsource it or move it to a different studio and it's um yeah I don't I haven't even thought about it I'm sort of speaking aloud um so what, what what the industry really needs is those programmers to recognize that the bug testers are the ones that have their backs and the bug testers make their work better and make the end product better and more successful and to start looking out for them too so it's it's infuriating to to look at the the whole supply and demand argument as for like oh well that's why it's okay to treat the bug testers poorly and to pay them so little because there are so many people willing to do it it just naturally keeps the wages down but then when when supply of of something dries up we see like uh just last week i think in, in australia they were the they were floating ideas about well okay well we we've got these covid problems and this shipping crisis so we need more forklift drivers and instead of just you know paying more money for forklift drivers and treating people better they decided like what if we just lower the age of of what's allowed for for forklift driving and have kids do it and here in, in canada we're we're talking about the same thing with truckers because of the um you know supply chain and, and covid issues and and it's just like no why why is the supply and demand thing only work the one way you know why why does it never never work in the underlings favor to actually get them you know better paid and better treated how come is it just like we start dabbling with no let's let's bring back child labor that was <laughs> that was really good at keeping costs down all, all all the testers do it right you know every test you know it's the because in i don't know what it's like in other countries i know in the uk unions are mostly um around uh public companies or you know, not public companies companies that you know teachers and um uh, people that work basically work for the government and then it and then it and sort of people who do sort of minimum wage jobs um and uh, uh where where unions don't exist to the sort of better paid sort of situations so yeah i yeah it's weird it's it's a it's a it's a, oh maybe you know maybe activision blizzard will <laughs> recognize it maybe they will and that goes back to the to the question I was um, I was asking. Well, the broader set of questions that that was in my head, right? And, and the thing now we're at a point where this is this is representative of something to to what both Chris and Brendan just mentioned. This is representative of something not just within the games industry, right? This is multiple industries are having these conversations and, and people are trying to empower themselves. So again, I'm not going to make any assumptions and wonder where it may go, but it, it 
it would be really bad if there was like a soft union, you know, brush under the rug <laughs> where, you know, everyone else is kind of having these um, same conversations to empower themselves during these times. So, um, you know, I, I think that's something that we should definitely keep in mind or, you know, just keep an eye out to see where that goes, especially with this in the next 18 months and beyond. Danielle, because um, you know the mobile market so much better than I do, um, uh, how significant is King in this? Because it's, I sort of, when people say, I still hear, hear Candy Crush, but is it, is this, is this sort of a game changer for Microsoft? Or do they, are they going to need more, do you think, in terms of um, sort of ruling that space? It's an interesting one, I think. This was one of the first thoughts that I had when I was trying to process this whole deal is that King stood out to me because it was a little bit different. I mean, I know you said earlier that Microsoft had struggled to kind of uh, make a significant wave in the PC market, but it's not like it doesn't have a presence at all. You know, there's PC Game Pass already there and it, you know, you know it's not struggling to break in particularly, but it hasn't had a, a kind of significant impact on the mobile market. And it, King felt like the one where out of Activision, Blizzard and King, King was the biggest asset to the acquisition uh, as a whole. But it's, I, I think what's interesting is the, the crossover of casual games, because there's, like you said, Candy Crush is a big example of Candy Crush being a, a gateway to the games industry anyway. You know, it, it's tapping into a market that wouldn't particularly you know, go out and look at a games console or look at a video game. And I think there's a, a like a, a gap in the market there to kind of bring those players over to the console market, into the wider market at large via Candy Crush now and via these, these casual mobile games. But that's something that remains to be seen, I think. Yeah, well, I'm not entirely sure Microsoft great. Because when we think of Minecraft, we don't necessarily think of Xbox, do we? I, well, I don't. Um, maybe, maybe other people do. But um, and Minecraft is like it's a brand that every time I talk about Microsoft being a gamer brand, and not being very good at appealing to mainstream consumers, I always forget they own Minecraft, and that's obviously hugely successful amongst the sort of younger audience and a more broader audience. But it almost feels separate to well, this business. And I think that's the thing with King. Like you can see how Blizzard will attach itself to Microsoft's existing PC business. You can see how Activision could attach itself to its Game Pass strategy. And I and, and Phil Spencer has talked extensively about wanting to grow on smartphones because he views that as the place where they'll they'll be successful in India. He cites PUBG, Call of Duty Mobile, obviously, and that's not King, but in um oh, I don't think it's King. Is it not King? I think I think it's Tencent, isn't it? Um, maybe it's King. Um, in a in in China, and I just and I'm not entirely sure where King fit in, but it's exactly what they want apparently. But I don't quite know how it connects to. It feels like radically different to the sort of Xbox gamer brand that, that we have, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, as well. And I think in the wake of, of more cross-play opportunities and cross-platform stuff, maybe we start to see console games leaking onto mobile and maybe we see mobile games creeping onto consoles as well. Maybe there's a there's a bigger opportunity for the two to, to kind of tie in as well as bringing different audiences to each other. But I, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I don't know how it's going to affect it, but it feels like, there are avenues to tie the two together that don't exist yet. I remember at one point, I don't know if they ever did it, Brendan, you might remember, because um, Microsoft make the Solitaire game, don't they, on, on Windows, um, <laughs> which was like probably one of their most yes. played games at one point, and um, uh, on Minesweeper and stuff like that. And I, and I think at one point they were talking about putting achievements <laughs> into those games. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they ever did. I do remember uh, it coming up in an interview I did once. 
Um, that sounds like a very 2006, 2007 idea. Yeah. <laughs> See, for me, the 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 fact that King is bundled into this and the the notion of Microsoft pushing its gaming stuff onto mobile, like kind of both at the casual end with things like owning Candy Crush and obviously Minecraft is already on mobile, and then the the cloud element with Xbox Game Pass being available for cloud gaming through the app. It all plays to this this ongoing conversation. I keep on seeing people, executives saying, "You know, uh, billions, not millions." You know, Chris, you were talking earlier about the you know, the core gaming market of around 150 billion game, uh, sorry, million gamers, like, and that's that's the, you know, the the console and PC space. But when you factor in mobile and you factor in how many people play games of any variety, you are talking. I think the number that going out there is three billion gamers. Microsoft clearly got its eye on that. Activision was never going to be able to reach that on its own. I know it's got like it's got king and that is you know that, that that's a well, significant I think, I think advantage I, but i i actually think it's the other way around i think activision can reach that and that's the reason why microsoft is so yeah interesting okay, them. okay but, and, but, but activision activision have microsoft have certain brands that they want to you know like you look at the PUBG in india and you look at you know call of duty china and uh, call of duty mobile in china and you think that that's an opportunity for halo right that's an opportunity for for microsoft's game pass it's an opportunity for all of it in and this is part of the vision like we keep talking about um uh, 150 million dollars probably that was lowballing there but um you know talking about going out m- making console games appeal to more and more people it isn't just you know people in the it's mo- it's not it's act- mostly isn't people in sort of the west it's 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 all those other markets um so uh uh yeah yeah. No, I agree. I, I, yeah, my my point was like that. Yeah, this is clearly about Microsoft, like looking much much bigger, and and Activision was looking much bigger. Like you know, going back to that that Bobby Kotick interview, like he was talking when he was talking about um when Kotick was talking about not being able to hire the talent, he was talking about in terms of keeping up with the the big tech com- uh, competition, like not rivaling like EA and Ubisoft. He's talking about keeping up with. Um, Apple and Google and Facebook and Microsoft and like that's that's where the the new the not the new but like the next level of competition is that big tech area where you're not just delivering core game experiences for core gamers or traditional game experience through your typical games platforms console PC and then obviously an element of mobile like they are looking much 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 broader than that both Microsoft and Activision are looking much broader than that and yeah combining their resources it does make sense like they can potentially reach that like it, well, i just microsoft, found it interesting yeah no you're right no I, and i think that is actually you know when phil spencer talks about how anxious he is about amazon coming in right and i like well, he likes to vilify them like they're coming over here they don't love games they what are they doing in our space um but um you know amazon and apple and google well, and and we all sit there going well they don't make games you know they're not that big in games they're not well not they're not nintendo but the reason why he is anxious is because I think he sees, and to be fair, I think it's the same reason third-party publishers like EA and, and, and Activision have been clearly nervous. Bobby said he was nervous in the, in the interview he did, is um is because it is all about AI and machine learning and cloud, and it's becoming such a big thing. And those companies that are huge in that space, there aren't many. It's Google and it's Amazon and it's Microsoft, and um and that's. And that's why I think that's why, you know, if, if Google want to really go into games, I know they've, they've backed in and backed out one leg in, one leg out. But, you know, they have the technical capabilities and what they lack is content. But that's up for sale. And um, and that's the same with Amazon. Uh, it's just, and you know, it's actually and there's lots of tech companies out there that are really making huge growth. Epic and Unity as well amongst those people. They're not they don't have the same cloud infrastructure as, as Microsoft and Google, but they, they certainly have this. They are they are 
because the way the industry is going, because the way the market is evolving, and Microsoft does have this, they have their expertise. That's why they, that's why Phil Spencer is so confident. He, he believes he can make changes because that, that is the thing that Microsoft's good at, Azure. And that's the thing that I actually think the best thing Xbox has done. I've always been a bit nervous about Game Pass. I'm not entirely sure about their acquisition strategy. I, I, I don't like it myself. It makes me feel a bit uncomfortable. But the thing that um, I think is a great thing they did was, I think it was last year, it might be 2020, I've, I've lost track of time. They launched Idea Azure, which was their way of trying to, of trying to open up all of these really complicated technical capabilities to indie developers so that it's no longer just the thing that the biggest companies can do, that there is an option there for those smaller businesses to access all this stuff. This stuff that I don't really understand, by the way, but I do know it's, I thought it was really interesting hearing in that interview of VentureBeats, Kotick getting, expressing an anxiety that Activision has. And I bet you that's an anxiety Ubisoft have and and EA might have as well, because EA have a CTO and investing all this and stuff. But I suspect they're all worried about this um, huge amount of investment they're having to make in tech. And the fact that they, they may not be able to keep up, and it's um, I don't think, I don't uh, think until the the Kotick interview, I don't think I realised quite how behind Activision is in that regard because EA has had that that seed division, like the the R and D department seed, and they are looking into like machine research and I uh, sorry machine learning and AI. I had a conversation with um, Ubisoft a good two or three years ago at, at GDC, and it was a conversation about how they're experimenting with developing games in the cloud like not developing games for the cloud like not making games games specifically for streaming but can you develop a triple a product or at least you know a double a product or something like that purely remotely without anything on your machine directly like actually using the cloud to do it like these conversations that the that both of the big publishers have been having you know three four five years past and i I don't recall activision talking about it until no, saying, no. yeah, we haven't got the, the talent to do it. Well, I don't know if Activision Blizzard wasn't, wasn't doing it because they obviously do have a huge cloud live ops structure and they have King and they have... It's just, I don't know if they... They clearly felt they didn't have enough and I don't know if EA have enough. You know, they say they've got a division dedicated to it. I interviewed them. They, they've been experimenting with cloud and stuff. I, it's, it's, it's clearly something they're all investing in, but there's a lack of talent out there. Um, it's all being hoovered up by the big tech companies. So it's, um, there, there is clearly, no, I don't know if that, so I wouldn't be surprised if though, even though EA has this division, they've spoken about it. Um, a lot of the times these companies talk about it because they're trying to find staff. Um, so I, I wouldn't, I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily say that Activision Blizzard was fur- was further behind than everyone else. They might've been, but I, I don't know for certain. It just, it just feels like, um, it's really it's just there's a few conferences, not ones that we run. I, I we're sort of more business development conferences, but there's a few conferences I've been keeping an eye on from other other uh, uh, people run, which is all around this, right? It's all around um, production services and all that kind of the, the pressures, the pe- all the companies that I've never even heard of before that co- uh, developers are, are partnering with. Um, like Epic Games is partnering with these big cloud companies, um, got f- who are providing hundreds of engineers to work on their stuff. It is um. It is a uh, it's a different world, and um, and Microsoft clearly feel that. Well, I think Microsoft are, from what I'm hearing, um, pretty pretty one of the biggest in this, and that's why um, clearly it's what attracted Activision. But it is a it is um it is another uh, angle on this whole story. That is all we've got time for this week. As Chris says, we could easily do six podcasts on this. I imagine we'll be doing more than that over the next eighteen months as uh, more details of this deal come through. 
You can read a lot, lot more about this deal over at gamesindustry.biz. You can find previous episodes of the podcast on the podcasting platform of your choice. And we will be back next week with your regular news show. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.